Momentum, helping men succeed in life. Welcome to Momentum. It is Tim and Des with you once again. And once again, we are joined by our special guest who joined us last week to talk a bit about his journey. His name is Justin Gange. Justin, great to have you back, man. Thanks for joining us again. Uh, great to be back. It's, uh, yeah, privileged to be able to share some time with you. Thank you, man. It's good. So, Justin now uh, works for Mates in Construction. You can find out details of what they do at mates.org.au and they have a 24-7 hotline as well. If you need to chat to somebody about something you're going through, the number is one three hundred six four two triple one. We'll come back to that at the end of the show. But, Justin, well, we talked a bit about your uh, your life story um, in the last show. We talked a bit about how you have been a bit of an entertainer through your young years, but you struggled with low self-esteem. You felt like you were wearing a mask. You, you found the Lord at the age of 17, you got married, you had a couple of kids, and life was going really well for you for a period of time. And then an event happened in 2012 that changed the course of your life. Tell us a bit about what happened. Life was amazing. God was blessing me left, right, and center. But uh, I, 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 I took my eye off the prize, and I began to think um, that I was pretty, pretty red hot. I thought I was amazing. And so I, I began you know, just, just doing things of my own strength. Um, and um, I use the footy analogy, taking my eye off the ball, and, and it's quite apt for me at that stage. I was, I, I was um, a mascot for the Brisbane Broncos, a rugby league team here in Brisbane, um, and I was the horse for 12 years leading up to 2012. I'd been the horse for 12 years, wow. and um, it was it was brilliant. I loved it. I loved, you know, I, I was there at the State of Origin. I was there at, um, you know, Lockyer's last game at, it, just all those, you know, all, all those amazing things, and and just the hype as an entertainer. I just loved, you know, bringing smiles to a crowd, but just being involved in some of the biggest showpieces uh, that were going, at, 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 you know, during that um, period. And so, 2012 came along, and I thought, hey, I'm bulletproof, I, <laughs> and I wanted to try everything. And so, um, I, I live in Logan, and, and earlier on that year, I, I ran for the state elections um, in 2012. Um, in the local seat of Woodridge um, for Family First. Um, so that was, that was cool. I learned a lot. I, I had two people, two volunteers help me out. I got 8% of the vote. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, <laughs> but then later that year, I, I went on um, Australia's Got Talent. Um, I was dressed up as the mascot and I came out and I sang Mustang Sally, you know, the, um, the song about the horse. And um, I got through <laughs> to the semifinals um, and... Um, in the semi-finals, I came out in a, in a, in a penguin suit—not an actual penguin suit—but I came out in a suit, and and I sang the Impossible Dream, and um, and and I was reminded of where my talent level probably lay. <laughs> so I got I got to the end of that process, um, and I and I, at work, look, you know, again, God had blessed me there. I'd I'd, I'd climbed the ladder. Um, 20, 2008, I was an emerging lead in the organisation of ten thousand you know, the top 20 emerging leaders. So I was just like, God was just blessing me, blessing me, blessing me. But I, I so I'd reached a, a level of management in um, 2012 where I was pulling in big hours, running for state politics um, on reality TV, which is a, a living, working beast in itself. Um, it, it was just a huge, huge year. Um, and, you know, I was cooked. I got to the end of this. And as I said, I was doing it all by my own strength. But I got to the end of it. And I was cooked. And um, my boss started noticing that I, I started doing things differently. And um, he started taking me out for coffee going, what's going on? We're worried about you. 
And I was a typical bloke, you know, we talked about the mask in the last episode, you know, and I had my mask on. I said, yeah, no, I'm all right, mate. I did the alpha. Yeah, no, mate, I'm good. And, um, and finally, <laughs> after about 17 sessions of him taking me out, worried about me, asking about what's going on, I said, no, I can't do this anymore. I'm cooked. I'm tired. I don't know what to do. He said, well, neither do I. I thought, oh, great, thanks. <laughs> he said, but what I do know is how about we go and make a call? So we went back to his office. We made a call to my local GP. Um, the GP said, you'd probably need to speak to a psychologist. I've been seeing a psychologist on the side, and I called her up, and she said, get to your local emergency department. Um, so my wife grabbed me and took me to the local hospital um, where I spent a couple of weeks in the, um, in the psych unit um, and I was diagnosed with a mental illness of bipolar type 2. And that, um, and that was 2012. That was a huge, huge year. And, and, and so, yeah, that, that, was, that, that was almost the, the, the final turning point. I'd almost reached rock bottom at that stage. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that was, that was tough. And then we, we, we wind the clock forward to 2013. Um, I'd, I'd, our organisation was going through a restructure, so I'd been there for 20 years, and all of a sudden it was looking like I was going to lose my job, um, and my nan in New Zealand passed away. So all of that circumstantial stuff, being diagnosed with a mental illness after being tired from politics and reality TV and now job loss and losing a loved member of my family was the tipping point for me. And I said, you know what, I can't do this anymore. My beautiful family that I love so much, my two little IVF girls, my wife has put up with so much, they'd be better off without me. And so on the 1st of August 2013, I thought I would do my family, do my friends, do my mates a favour and I'd try to take my life again. And that was it as far as I was concerned. Wow. Justin, I know that the listener doesn't know this, but... You said that you began disconnecting. You began withdrawing from friends and family. Your fuse was becoming shorter at home, you know, as, as we do when we're carrying burdens and things. We can be short and irritable. Surely they must have seen the warning signs or known the warning signs. Did, did you feel like anybody was trying to reach out or were you so, so shut down at that stage that it didn't matter what anybody said to you? Yeah, look, I, I think I had the blinkers on. As I look back, as I reflect, I think, oh, yeah, yeah, they were picking it up and, and people were picking up different things. But that, there was that hesitation to do anything. There was that hesitation um, to, I'm not sure what to say or how to say it or how to get rid of help. And so, so yeah, there's plenty of this going on in the background. Um, and, and, and I remember um, even that day, that, that morning that I tried taking my life, um, I, I sent a, an email to my wife and to my boss and to a friend of ours. I said, I'm sorry I've let you down, um, but I can't do this anymore. Now, my boss had already been planning in the background um, with HR on how to support me. They could see that I was struggling. Um, mm. But I didn't know any of this until after the fact. So he's called my wife. He said, hey, we need to call the police. And she said, you know what? No, I've, got, I've, I've just got a sense I, I need to go someplace. And, um, you know, we talk about, you know, the, the, this is the ultimate God intervention right here. And, and so she said, look, um, she grabbed our friend. She said, look, I just want to drive one place. And she drove an hour away from where our house was because um, no one knew where I was. And it was before the times where you could, you know, follow phones and things yes. like that. So 
So mm. she, she just trusted this gut instinct that she had. Um, and she said, I just want to try this place. The first car park they pulled into, they found my car. They found me. It, it was, you know, miracle number one. They found mm. me an hour away. Um, they, they tried getting me out of the, the car. Um, I'm supermodel good looks, but very heavy bones for the rest <laughs> Uh, so they couldn't get me out of the car, and, and next minute um, a car pulls in, and there was a um, big um, psychiatric nurse um, jumped out and managed to pick me up like a rag doll, threw me down onto the ground. My, my wife um, uh, applied CPR the only way she knows how by slapping me across the face, <laughs> and they got a moan out of me. They got to me in time. Miracle number two. Yeah. And the ambos pull in, and they said, you know, when someone doesn't want to be found, they don't get found. Miracle number three. And I, I go back to Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, <laughs> for I know the plans I have. You said the Lord plans are good and not for evil. You may have a future and a hope. God had a plan for my life, and it took um, that whisper from God to my wife to say, "Go there," and and she found me. And it was just, yeah, it was um, a very long, large story to to just glorify, you know, God's intervention and yet again into my life. You'd think I'd learned by now, wouldn't you? <laughs> um, but um, but that, that, that to me um, was probably my turning point. That was my turning point because I, I was back in that same hospital um, that I was diagnosed in just a year before. And I had all my tradie mates, all these salt of the earth, good quality tradies coming and asking me why. You know, I was that bloke on sites that would be, you know, making the jokes, singing the songs, bringing the joy. That's what I did. And then all of a sudden on this one, it's, you know, the, the loudest one, you know, I'm sitting in that hospital. And so that's when I said, you know what, I can't put this mask on him any, anymore. And so I became transparent with my story. Yeah. And that transparency I found gave all my mates, all my friends, all those tradies actually permission to be transparent themselves. And what I found out is that we're all going through stuff, but we weren't talking about it. And so that was my like, okay, God, I need to talk about this. We need to talk about this. We need to have these conversations so it gives other people confidence and gives them permission to share their stuff when they're doing it tough um, to prevent us losing our mates, our friends, our family members before it's too late. I mean, it's absolutely amazing, that story. And you know, I, I was just thinking about how you reacted when you woke up and, and, you're, and you're faced with, you know, hey, I'm still alive. Uh, what was your reaction to that? Oh, look, it was so tough, and and it, that that negative self talk. I've stuffed it up again. Far out. Not only was it real hard, Yaka, before I did what I did, but now it's just made exponentially worse. My my functioning levels at that stage. I was flat out getting out of bed trying to make myself a cup of tea. Let alone being a manager in an organisation, trying to raise coin to feed my family and keep the roof over our heads. I'd just blown it. And, and I thought, well, I just can't do anything right. And that's, that's, a, that's the concept there. And, and as I look back, I think, wow, that, that was my lowest point. Um, but from that, it, the only way was up. Across Australia, this is Momentum with Tim and Des. And today, our special guest is Justin Gyange, who's had a pretty varied career as a plumber, a manager, and also a Brisbane Broncos mascot. Before the break, Justin shared about his headspace and things that led him to a suicide attempt almost 10 years ago. Don't forget, if you need support, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14. 
And we pick up Justin's story as he shares how he made changes to ensure he never ended up in such a dark place again. I refer to it as my scaffolding. So I've, I've got a, a well-being plan. So um, I'm a simple bloke with a, a dodgy old plumber with plumbing references. So I've got four buckets. <laughs> and um, I'm going to keep each of those buckets, um, you know, filled. And, and, and so I'll have my, I've got my um, physical bucket, my mental bucket, uh, my emotional bucket and my spiritual bucket. And I need to keep tipping into those so that not only have I got enough capacity to keep me well, but I love helping, helping people. That's my purpose these days. So I want to have enough in those buckets so that I can stay well myself but have the capacity to help other people. And so, you know, that physical bucket for me, you know, the older I get, the more I love my garden. I love gardening and I love going for walks. So those are two things that don't um, resonate with the word exercise. But it is a form of me just being active. You know, I love love mama lawns. I love love weeding. I love you know trimming my trees and stuff like that. Um, my mental uh, sorry, my uh, mental bucket is all about me learning. Since that moment in 2012, I've had a degree um, in uh, social science. I've done a diploma of psychology. I've done a um, so I've actually continued to learn. I only finished my degree um, late last late last year so I'm constantly mm. learning I'm wanting to learn more and um, my diploma of, um, of ministry and diploma of project management and diploma so I love I love to learn and that's the thing that, that, that helps me um, keep that um, that bucket tipped up so filling mm. that mental bucket and, and the emotional bucket is that connection with people and I, I understand people wherever you might be you might be in you know different areas of the country or the world that, that's struggling with isolation at the moment but you can still remain connected even within that isolation. I, I FaceTime my dad once, my mum and dad once or twice a week, you know, and we mm. talk and we look at each other and all that sort of stuff, and we can connect. So you can still connect in, in this isolated world. Um, but my fourth bucket, I've learnt that I cannot do this alone. I am mm. most well when I'm connected with God and connected to my faith, and that's something that I've had to learn. And I, and I see when that bucket's, starting to dry up, I, I need to, you know, I chuck, I love my worship music, I chuck it on in the car and, you know, and I love going to church and I love connecting with people and, you know, um, and doing that sort of thing. So if I can tip into each of those buckets, um, then that's going to sustain it. That actually helps keep me well. You mentioned there about isolation and being connected and that's really important. And let's just talk about that for guys listening who go, well, you know what, it's I, I just don't feel like that. I don't want to connect. So, you know, I, I I tend to run back into my man cave when I'm struggling with stuff because I don't want to be a bother or I don't want people to know that I'm struggling. What would you say to guys listening right now who perhaps can identify with that to go, yeah, well, that's okay, but I, I just don't feel like that. Or I don't feel like I've got places or people in my life that I can really have those conversations with. So it's always good to, to you know, um, to actually look at these things when you're in a good space, you know, and, and I've made a deal with a lot of my close friends. I said, look, if I'm not on social media, if I'm not um, doing, you know, if I'm not calling and stuff like that, that says that I'm struggling. Yeah. And, and yeah. that's your cue um, to actually um, to, to send me a text. And, and the deal is that more than likely, like you said, I, I isolate. There's comfort in, in that isolation sometimes. And, and so the, 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 what I've said is, look, yeah, by all means, text me. Let me know you care. Let me know you're thinking. 
I probably won't respond. But that'll let me know that someone gives a rip and, mm. and, and that they've got my back. And you know what? Sometimes that's enough to know that, oh, okay, someone is thinking, someone does care. My, my wife's mm. like the conductor of my orchestra, okay? She pulls the strings in when the strings need to come and she'll call mates of mine and say, hey, Justin needs a karaoke session. Can you take him out? Or Justin needs to hit a golf. Can you pick him up and take him out? So she, she's mm. forever in the background, you know, manipulating the orchestra to, to, to make sure that, yeah, if I'm in that space where, you know, it, it, um, where I don't want to be contact or whatever, she'll know the right right string to draw to actually say, you know, you need to feel, um, you know, she'll know that I, I love soppy Disney movies. I cry at the drop of a hat. She'll know that, okay, she might, he might not be talking, but I'm going to chuck on High School Musical, and we were all going to cry at the end, of course. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and so um, there's no shame in that. Any High School Musical people out there, just saying. Um, <laughs> so she'll she'll know some of those things, and as I said, you never dig that well when you're thirsty. Put that plan in place. You know, let your mates know. Be transparent with them. You know what? And and um, it, it it's something that. You know, the last eight years I've been in the space talking about this stuff, working hard, but keeping myself well all that, all the same um, because of those strategies that I've put in place. And, and I, I encourage mm-hmm. anyone that's listening right now, who would be someone that you would trust to have a conversation with like this? And, and think about that. Make sure you put them in your phone or make sure you talk to them about it. Yeah. Take them out for mm-hmm. coffee and say, hey, you know, if the things go south uh, or sideways for me, you're the person that I would really trust to have a conversation about, you know, and let them be part of the plan. So that's mm. that, those those are things that I do, and it, and as as tough as that is, um, it's super important because my girls are sixteen and thirteen now, and they've still got a dad who's going to turn up for their formal. They've still got a dad who's going to walk them down that aisle, and and, mm. and that you know, while they are not my only reasons, that is a big reason for why I put all the scaffolding in place so that if I wobble, if I get um, uh, sideways, I'm not going to fall over completely because I've got my scaffolding of support around me. And, and that's so much. Justin, never more has there been a, a time that has been so important where it is okay to not be okay and to actually yeah. have those sorts of conversations. So I just want to encourage men listening again. Um, we've been chatting with Justin Gange. Um, Justin works for uh, making construction. And if you need to have a conversation, if you're in a, the construction industry and you want to reach out, there is a helpline you can call, which is one 642 Check out the website too, mates.org.au. And of course, Lifeline, Beyond Blue, the Momentum Australia website as well. We've got details on there, people that you can reach out to and have a conversation if you need to, if you're struggling. Do not do it alone. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for being so brave and bold and vulnerable and honest. And encouraging other guys to do the same as well. It's been a pleasure chatting to you. Oh, the, the pleasure was mine. Thank you so much and really appreciate all you're doing for um, blokes all around the world. For more information, go to MomentumAustralia.org. You can also access a whole range of resources to help you on your journey and to get in touch with the team at MomentumAustralia.org.